welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by the panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello panel. panel. Panel of newbies a little bit shy of uh, a full panel today. We've got Siobhan. Hey, everybody. And Axel. Hello. And joining us again for the first time in season two, it's my co-host, Saima. Woohoo! <laughs> what up, Wheelies? I'm back. Yay! I missed you all. Oh, oh, we missed you too. We missed you so much. I especially missed you because I had to do all of the hosting. That gets tiring after a while. It's like having a job. Oh, I, I listened to every episode and there were certain points where I just, I really felt for you, Ruwak. I thought this is where we would have had a look. Together. You would have been holding up the mask <laughs> I, in front of your face, the paper. Yeah, I would have been holding up the mask or I would have been trying not to raise my eyebrow but as i was saying i i made loads of notes while i was listening to you all and i was just looking at them now and one of them one of them says oh ruach you sneaky sneak i see what you did there <laughs> and i can't for the life of me i can't for the life of me remember what it was but it was basically in episode five <laughs> and that's that's my note from that episode i I think I I remember you posting that somewhere, and I think I know what you were referring to. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it after the episode. <laughs> <laughs> episode five. Episode five. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, you all did such an amazing job. I so enjoyed listening and having huge FOMO because I wasn't there, but at the same time, just really enjoying the experience of not being there and listening to you afterwards and just giggling my socks off because there were so many funny things that you all said that you wouldn't realize yeah. like there were deliberately funny things that you said but there's also a lot of funny things that you said that were so much mm -hmm. bigger than the context of what you were what you were referring to so yeah much uh much material for the spreadsheet that's for sure <laughs> glad to hear it there's a prize at the end, I'm sure. <laughs> and our, our audience on the podcast can't see you right now, Saima, but uh, you're looking fabulous. I'm going to have to take a picture. Fabulous and resplendent in your, your uh, Swan Sanche cosplay there. Yes. Yes. I had to I had to show up. I had to just, I've been away for so long and I thought, right, I have to represent. I'm going to, I'll take a picture and post it. But I have my, the closest thing, the closest thing I could find to Swan's stabby crown, so it's pretty. And cool. you look fantastic in it. It's pretty. It's pretty sharp. It is pretty sharp. Actually, yeah, you could throw that at some at something and in, interrupting crown. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and and this jacket looks brown, but it's it's actually gold. So again, it was the closest I could get to Swan's magnificent outfit. So, Saima, we, we want to hear some of your thoughts about the season. You weren't here the whole season to to squee and bite your lip and, and all the other things, and we want to hear some of it now. So, so. And have my Ruach face. So. <laughs> Actually, what does that look like with a crown? I can't see. Let it me. looks fantastic. It, it, yeah, I, I think we I definitely to, need look, a crown. You look like great. That, yeah. We have to get you a crown. <laughs> Um, oh my goodness. Well, you're going to have to do a lot of editing in this section then, because I'm just going to be all over the place. <laughs> what an amazing season. 
seriously yeah. just so and and actually i i'll start with something a little personal and sentimental actually so watching this with my husband and seeing how much he was into it like genuinely really into it where he was saying when are we going to watch the next episode you know and it made me realize that i haven't forced him to read the books he had to read the first one when we were first dating he read that's, it out of the that's world like the entry because, exam <laughs> yeah the entry exam for dating yeah uh, he had to read out of the world and pride and prejudice no 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 we exchanged our favorite books his was moby dick mine was pride and prejudice i think i got the short end of the stick there so i then told him that he had to read out of the world just to make up for the fact that i had to read moby dick and then I thought, well, you know, if he enjoys it, maybe, maybe. But he, I didn't want to force him. And he's, he enjoys it because I enjoy it. But that's it. He's not going to read the books. But actually, as we were watching season two, I realized, and this is going to be the case for a lot of, a lot of us who have been reading it for decades, that somebody we love, even if Daniel read the books, he's never going to experience the characters as I experienced them because I was 16 years old. He's never going to see Nynaeve the way I saw her. He's never going to see Matt the way I saw him. And I realised, okay, I don't want him to read the books, but now he gets to watch the show. And I get to experience that with him. And I was just, I hadn't, it hadn't really hit me that this is what I, the show is giving us this opportunity to share it with people who know how important it is to us, but they get to see it in a different perspective. And I think Rafe is, and all, you know, everyone that's involved, they've definitely picked out the bits, bits that I would have wanted them to pick out and they've left the bits that I would have wanted them to leave. And I know not everyone's going to agree with me on that. <laughs> Please don't send hate mail to the show. <laughs> it's just my perspective. <laughs> there are some things I don't like and we can, you know, we'll definitely get into them. But it was a lovely realisation for me that I thought, okay, great, I'm, I'm sharing this with somebody that I love and they're really enjoying it as well. Yeah. And I share a lot of spoilers with him because as soon as I tell him, like, he'll forget. So it's fine. <laughs> when it happens in the show, it'll still be new and exciting. But uh, yeah, I just, I loved it so much. Actually, that's a good, a good question to ask. How much of a divergence do you feel there was from the books? Like any major changes or just cosmetic? We did talk earlier before we started recording about how time and distance has kind of <laughs> gone very hand wavy. Time and space doesn't exist. Well, they've combined books two and three, and I think it makes sense. It would have been different if, they ha if COVID hadn't happened and Barney Harris hadn't left. But I think considering that, they did a really good job. I think Matt's arc has suffered a little, but... It's okay, because when season three comes along and season four, we're going to forget yeah. that what we missed in season two. It's all going to be forgotten because gonna, he's going to be awesome. Yeah, season three, knowing what the, the main storyline in season three is going to be, it got me very, very excited. For those who don't know, season three is going to mainly focus on the events of book four, specifically the events involving uh, Rand and uh, Perrin. So is it safe to read the first three books now? No. <laughs> I like that unanimity. <laughs> Very clear. The hosts have spoken. Um, damn it. I, I would 
possibly venture to say that it might be safe to read the first two books. Not the third. Not the third, yeah. There's there's major events in the third that they've just glossed over that I feel like they're going to bring back in later. Understood. But there's a big chunk of book one that isn't happening until season three. Okay, so we're waiting. <laughs> so that, that, that's a no then. All right. That sounds like a definite no. I just, I just find it really fascinating the way you all react to these characters from the show. So there are some important characters that are going to come in season three that were introduced in, season, in book one. And I want to get your show perspectives rather than you kind of mentally comparing the book versus, versus the show, that if makes that sense. makes sense. Yeah. It does. So people I missed from season one, Tom. I haven't seen Tom. Yeah. 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 We, we all very much miss Tom, especially DW, who, who is not here and cannot voice this for, for himself. But I know deeply, deeply missed Tom. But I got my Loghain. I think Tom was DW's, the one DW wanted to see come back, and I wanted to see Loghain come back. So I got my wish. Did you, what did you uh, like about Loghain's return, if you liked anything about it? So one of the things that really impressed me about Loghain from season one is just how incredibly strong he is. Like he had the madness whispering in his ear the entire time that he had his powers, but he was able to say no to it. And you see that again in season two. He can't touch the source anymore, but he's still he's still making his own decisions. He's a, he can still say no, and he can negotiate for the things he wants. Even though he's a prisoner, even though he's lost the source, even though he's lost his power, he's still very much in charge of the decisions he makes. And and I just I I really like how strong he is as a person, his strength of personality. And he's kind of a bitch, too, because like he sends Rand to get the hardest wine it is to source in this corner of the world. <laughs> and then pours it and out then in front of him. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's high-level bitch energy. I love it. <laughs> I've never heard Logan described as a bitch before, but now I am rethinking all the encounters with him. I'm thinking, hmm, actually... That's interesting. I love what you've just said about, yeah, he has, despite the fact that he he is in the position that he's in, he still has agency. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Rand goes out of his way to find Loghain, I thought was bloody brilliant. And it actually made me think, why doesn't this happen in the books at this point? Because that makes so much sense, right? He's the only other male channeler that people are aware of. And that surely would be the person that Rand would think, okay, you know, apart from the Forsaken, which at that point, at the beginning of season two, he doesn't know that Shamael was a Forsaken. He thinks it, he thought it was the Dark One. He's going to go find out this other guy who's older than him, has been channeling longer than him, and was on the verge of winning. Like he, you know, he had a huge army behind him, supporting him, and say, okay, dude, how do I... How do I get as far as you? How do I survive as long as you? So I thought that was a brilliant change. I loved it. Oh, yeah. It, I, it was a really smart thing for Rand to do um, for someone who is as kind of young and, and experienced as and impulsive as he is portrayed in season one. That was a sharp move. I predicted that he was going to go off to try and find his par his biological parents. That was a much smarter move. Um, and around that whole storyline um a new character that they introduced that i absolutely loved was errol mm. 
Um, you just had a, a small little bit part, but you felt that character. It, it resonated. Yeah. Yeah. You knew a lot about him just from the little bits and pieces that they showed. And you can tell that Rand actually did take his lessons to heart. He, you know, later on, Lan tries to take his sword from him and Rand immediately does Heron on the wing and Lan's like, oh, hey, you know, a sword form, you know. And Lan gets all smiley. Yeah. You never see Lan smile. <laughs> he was kind of like, oh, look at you. And he's like, proud papa. Yeah. He's like, oh, I haven't been around to help you, but well, you've been doing pretty well on your, by yourself. And I, th- I think that this is sometimes in the books, people forget that Rand is actually incredibly smart. Mm-hmm. He's just and young. In the show, it really came across that that is the smart thing to do here. You know, I'm, I'm going mad. I might kill my friends. Okay, for whatever, you know, whether you agree or not, maybe the smart decision there is I better stay away from the people that I love because I'm scared I'm going to kill them. But then he does go into a city, yeah. you know, <laughs> so, but, and fall in love with the innkeeper. Um, but um, he's also a young, a young horny lad. So he's going to give him that too. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say more about Errol. I have big hopes for seeing him again. That would be oh, so cool. Yeah. And I have hopes of seeing him in a very interesting role, which I can't share, but I'll let Ruach know about it later. I, I think I might be psychically picking up that role. It's kind of making, there, there's a role that seems like it might make sense there. So, yeah. 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 But I just, I think that I just want to think that he had such a small and yet incredibly powerful role. And I think for Rand's mental health, seeing him come back again later, I think would be really important. And I just want to say every single actor in the show, no matter how minuscule their screen time, they're really knocking it out of the park. Just so, so well done. Absolutely. Even Jan, even, um, I can't, what you, you called him something else. The one that gets beaten up. Disorderly orderly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the <disorderly> <laughs> <laughs> that's yes, right we renamed him dick <laughs> <laughs> the dick yeah. yeah i really like the fact that they displayed errol as obviously suffering from shell shock like that's not something you see in a lot of uh fantasy genre you have someone who's been through a war um and has ptsd and leaning really into what Jordan was initially thinking about when he was writing these stories, you know, returning soldier, and he was going to, apparently he was going to write it about Tam originally before it evolved into a story about Tam's son. I think I love the fact that they're really connecting into the whole um, history and backstory of how the books came about to really show that, yeah, so early on, which is going to be a really important factor as we go through the whole show. Okay, so why don't we talk about new characters this season that we really enjoyed for whatever reason? Uh, the family. Um, Maureen, Maureen's the family. Yes, my family. Uh, no, no, no. The uh, the retired. Oh, the oh, retired Ice oh, Spy. Um, and and Adelius. Yeah, yeah. The the yeah. the brown yes, Aja yeah. were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really added a lot. I thought. 
to like to the dynamic of the show as well like showing this is how you can be isolated as well they're not just all caught up in politics i don't think it's possible to escape the politics to be perfectly honest <laughs> well there's there's this, they at least like they're on the sidelines getting to 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 to, to, to point and laugh temporary breaks from the politics yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to point out, I need to make a correction from that episode. Um, I said very distinctly during that episode that they were, that Vern and, and Adelius were not sisters in the familial sense, but sisters in the Aja sense. And in the extended information available on Amazon, apparently they are sisters in this version of the story. So, uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting uh-huh. because I specifically saw... I was looking out for that, and in the subtitles, when Varin refers to Adelius as as my sister and I will come with yeah, you. It, it's Maureen. capitalized, yeah. Sister was capitalized, yeah. 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 I, I think it's in the bios section um, under Varin or Adelius, um, but it does actually say that they are familial sisters. But they were fantastic together. I think Adelius has really stolen the show. Uh, hashtag horny Adelius was trending for a while. <laughs> it was oh, like, that's what's the most unexpected thing from season two? And everyone was like, horny Adelius, for yeah. sure. <laughs> we did not ever imagine that could be possible. She's fantastic. My favorite was Varin. She's such an interesting character. Everyone's favorite is Varen. Yeah, everyone's favorite character is Varen for reasons. But also Mira Sayal is, I just love her trajectory in um, film and TV. She's just fantastic. And the representation. And oh my goodness. I, <laughs> I had to stop saying to my friends as we were watching, listen to every single syllable Varen says. Everything is important. Like every facial expression, every movement of her body, everything is important. And finally, my family's just like, just tell me already what the deal is with Varin. So I just love Varin. I love Varin. She's amazing. Um, <laughs> so, yes. I think, Saima, you and I can maybe address the, the difference in the portrayal of Varin here. Because Varin in the show comes across a lot more competent than Varen in the books. We know Varen in the books is competent, but she portrays herself as as less than competent or or less than, but less she's than not, focused. Yeah. yeah. She likes to present herself as a little bit scatty, kooky, caught up in books and not really present. And they've not done that in the show. And I thought it worked really well. So that's an intentional... I wasn't expecting it. Like she's intentionally trying to throw people off by doing that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind, kind of the absent-minded professor still... stereotype, mm. but she's really kind of actually much more with it than anybody suspects, which they kind of just did away with, and, and everybody can just tell that she's with it. You know? But she's still subtle. That's, I think, something that's harder to do in TV. Yeah, yeah. You know when she goes when she first goes in to see her brown sisters? And she sits down and says, you know, um, well, I've come here, you know, for for a purpose. But in the meantime, let's just catch up. And then she, you know, gets a pastry and she bites into it. And she's just like, just just let me know. Just catch me up on what's going on. But let's let's hear the gossip. (laughs) Actually, she is gathering information. And I I, so to me, that was the that was the closest to book Varenish 
you know, that kind of um, pretending to be disarming and just chatting, but actually she's got everything she does has has deeper meaning. I have a couple of new characters that I want to see more of. One is um, Elias, wolf guy. <laughs> He's, I think, way too interesting a character to just leave him for that brief interaction with Perrin. But, hey, you're a wolf brother. Okay, well, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. You're a wolf brother. It's what it sounds like. Okay, training done. <laughs> 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 Don't be stupid. Yes, Gary Beadle representing as Elias. I, um, yeah, another EastEnders alum there. I think he's fantastic. And, and he was Dude. he was genuinely unsettling as Elias. Mm. Like I, I yeah, didn't read yeah, Elias yeah. as unsettling in the books, but he was unsettling. No, you're right. That was very alien an upgrade. I think from the books for me personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Oh, I agreed, yeah. agreed. And I think it was somebody on the panel that mentioned the fact that Elias doesn't blink. And so when I was rewatching, yeah, I, I mentioned yeah, that, when yeah. I was rewatching yeah. it, I, I start, I focused in on that and I was just like, wow, this is, this is really great. But then, you know, focusing on Elias not blinking made me realize that Ishii doesn't either, but it's not as if Elias has got a really intense gaze because obviously he has yellow eyes, but there's something about him that's very kind of, uh, scary intense with that where with Ishi, he's got an intensity but it's this weird caring intensity <laughs> with his stroking you know and always you know kind of stroking people and but he doesn't blink either so I thought that was an interesting acting choice for both of them works really well so now I'm gonna want to watch Perrin now that Perrin's kind of gone full-on wolf brother I want to watch him and see if like his blink to stare ratio has gone down <laughs> let's start a new spreadsheet <laughs> yeah i'm also hoping to see more of rima oh heartbreaking yeah the whole the whole thing with her and uh, her losing basan and being colored immediately was just such an incredibly emotionally intense scene and I kind of want to see what happens after the collars are removed, after her and um, the blue Aja, is it my gun? Mm -hmm. What happens to them when they are rescued? Well, Mygan's dead. She died at the yeah. end. She's the one that the collar came off when Egwene picks it up. And that's another, another correction that I have to make because I insisted that that was not my gun, but it apparently was my gun. Yeah, because we had that whole conversation about how because they swear to the oath that they can't uh, fight, they can't use the, the one power as a weapon. they're a little fast and loose with Yeah, that. that's something else we can add to the fast and loose pile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there might be reasons. There might be reasons that we might get to, but at the moment it's definitely fast and loose. But, uh, but coming back to Raima and Basan, I had so many conversations with people about people who complained about too much time spent on the water bond in season one. And then in season two with Maureen and Lan, I was just saying, this is why, right? This is why all yeah. that time was spent because you can be introduced to two amazing characters in one episode. You fall in love with them. You are completely rooting for them and you're absolutely devastated when what, you, know, you see what happens to them. And you, we wouldn't have that much connection to them if we didn't understand the power of the water bond. And that one scene where... Basan and Rhymer lock eyes 
was so beautiful. Yeah. And to me, yeah. it was very, to me, in that moment, it was just like, this is a husband and wife who really know each other. You know, it was just heartbreaking. Like, I, I wanted that scene to go into, like, super slow motion. And as they're gazing into each other's eyes, you just hear, like, Barry White singing in the back. <laughs> <laughs> when a man loves a woman. <laughs> so, so I think that, like, you, you, you talk, you're talking to kind of, like, a larger point that seems... Um, a lot of people don't have... Um, like I'm sufficiently trained in how to watch long form TV drama where you kind of need to have where there is payoff. You need, you need to seed right? concepts early so yeah. that you get the impact yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, that means that you need to sometimes go through episodes and or chunks of episodes that aren't in themselves exciting and interesting and grabbing because when they pay off, it is so much bigger because they're, you know, it's developing a big story, right? I think it's interesting that TV is, or specifically, like American TV is finally learning that this is a good thing to do. Um, right when everything else in our society is all about making things shorter and more compact and requiring less attention span, right? Like social media has got shorter and shorter and shorter, Right. You know, like from the days of Usenet when, you know, like conversations would take place over days. Right. And now we have like TikTok, which is measured in seconds for, for, for a mess, for a story. And then, whereas TV is now trying to say, OK, so we're going to do a story where we're going to show you something in one season. And then two years later, <laughs> you'll find out why this was important. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I was recently talking about the fact that uh, it, it seems backwards that when we were young, movies were the long format and TV was the short format. And it's yeah. very much reversed at this point. Movies yeah. are just a short one, one off story. And TV is the long invested storyline. I think that works better, to be honest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you have so much more time with a television show. I think it's very different between the UK versus US. Like, the, like British TV has a long tradition of doing, long, of doing serial. Big screen television adaptations of, you know, like Charles Dickens novels or um, I, Claudius, back in the mid-70s. I mean, even Doctor Who episodes were like four weekly episodes. So it was, a, you know, four, it was a month to six weeks before they were wrapped up. Yeah. Right, and then you have EastEnders. Yeah, <laughs> well, soap operas are different. Coronation Street. My parents were into Coronation Street. <laughs> yeah, but it's the same story. It's the same family having the same argument twenty years later. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Time is a flat circle. <laughs> like American American soap operas spend a whole like they will stretch out one plot point over months. Um, British soap operas will run through the plot site, so, like will run through the plots and come back to the, to the same plot again. So you feel, it feels like there's more motion. Um, it doesn't <laughs> go anywhere. Because the point of a soap opera is everything has to end up being the same. So, so it's like the, the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons where Fred starts <laughs> yeah. walking through the house yeah. and walks past yeah. the TV like three times because yeah. yeah. they just yeah. recycle the background. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. 
So I was I was just going to make another comparison, though, because it, w w with what Axel just said, it's almost like Downton Abbey, which had, you know, however many series, and then they made the movie. But the movie wouldn't have made sense if you didn't have all the backstory of the series and getting to know the characters, right? So it's interesting that Wheel of Time and all, well, the Amazon shows seem to be the model of eight episodes, eight hours, trying to cram in as much as possible. And yet again, I think... And don't mean to sound like an Amazon shill here. I'm not being paid to love the show. I'm just sharing my perspective, which is the fact that the the show are doing such a good job in trying to present such detailed information and doing it in a way that you can actually now go back and appreciate. Okay, this is what happened in episode in season one, which is again, you know, again, why we loved Rhymer and Bassan so much, because we have that build up. And I hadn't really thought about it in that way. So, yeah, thanks, Axel. You're very welcome. To go go back to the, the argument about, ex, you know, the amount of time spent explaining the Warder bond, I think the scene where Lan and Moraine reconnect when she opens up the bond to him again, I think that would not have had nearly as much impact if we didn't understand what it meant. And that was an incredibly emotional moment. Yeah, that really, there was a really nice build-up, like, over the, over the whole season of, of, like, their relationship. And she's trying to push him away, and she's trying to push yep. him away, and he's like, nope, yep. <laughs> you're yep. stuck with me. <laughs> yep. um, and, and, I mean, like, it's fairly tropey, so it's kind of predictable that it would follow that arc, but it was so nicely done. And, and in a lot of cases with... Um, fiction, the point is not about the destination, but about the journey. Right? Like, how, how it's played out, and, and the way that they built up, you know, the, 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 they reunify, and then they have to do this monstrous battle on the, on the seashore with, like, hordes of enemies attacking on the you know, that land has to keep off so that uh, Moraine can destroy the fleet and save the day. And the journey aspect is something that again on rewatches you appreciate more. So we, you know, you end up appreciating Lan's journey during season two way more once you got to the end and you rewatch because then it's like, okay, you every single he has so few lines, but they're so meaningful. And the one that I think was is brilliant on a rewatch is when he's talking to Moraine in Kyrian. And she's like, what are you doing? Like she's so angry with him. You know, like why have you involved Swan and what's going on? You know, why are you doing this? And she says, what are you doing? And he says, hopefully recovering everything we've lost. Like I'm paraphrasing, but it's what we've lost. We've lost our connection. You and I have lost each other. You've lost your power. I've lost you. And everything I'm doing is to restore your power and our connection. And then you realize that's what he was doing the whole time. And I thought that was brilliant. That was just brilliantly done. And I didn't appreciate it on my first watches. I was a little bit like, oh God, come on, you know. Like, I think Lan's a dumbass for various reasons. So I was just wanting to get onto the next bits. But now I go back and I'm like, wow, okay, that was brilliant. And I really appreciate Lan's storyline so much more. So, Saima, um, something I want to discuss with you, um, the there's, there's a bit of, of discussion in the fandom about the entire Envier storyline. And, and whether it was necessary or not. I want to hear your 
take on it. Okay, I will start with a disclaimer. I love Lindsay Duncan. She is a phenomenal actress and I've loved everything that I've ever seen her in. So when I found out she was playing Maureen's sister, I was already, give me everything. So going in with the fact that I wanted <laughs> to see her, <laughs> I thought that storyline was absolutely fabulous. I think whoever came up with that in the way they came up with it deserve some kind of award because it gave so many of the themes of, of, the, of the entire series just encapsulated. It showed Moraine as a human being, not as an Aes Sedai. It showed what happens to Aes Sedai who have families. And one of the themes that I want to talk about when we, when we do our in-depth deep dives is about family and all the different perspectives of family that were shown. Alana with her family, Verin and Adelius, you know, Lan and his lack of family. And, you know, where do, we, where do we find family and how do we treat them? And here we have Moraine and her family and the fallout of her being an Aes Sedai, her having a mission to save the world. And I think the most amazing scene with Anver was when she says to Bathanus that my sister will always understand that what is right and what is wrong. And sometimes doing the right thing is the most devastating. I'm paraphrasing again. But I just thought, oh my goodness, just, I, we, please let us have more Anver. Just, I want to see her. Yeah. I thought she was amazing. And I loved the fact that when you, when you meet Anver for the first time, she's very much portrayed as being in opposition to Moraine. The more you see her, the more she's exactly like Moraine. She's willing to sac make sacrifices to do the right thing, to do the important thing. And she's so strong that she can do that, even though it means giving up her son, someone she loves, someone she has sacrificed everything for. And what I loved in the fandom was this theory of, like, we knew Bathanas was a dark friend. But, the but then it was like, oh, is it? Okay, I, I want to state for the record, I was not aware that Barthanus was a dark friend. I, I knew that Barthanus in the book was a dark friend, but the Barthanus in the show is so radically different a character from the Barthanus in the book, I thought they were just recycling the name. Oh, interesting. I, I did not see the, the dark friend turn coming because they made him such a goody two-shoes, I genuinely thought they were just recycling the name. Well, I'm sure the show will be really happy to hear you say that, a hardcore fan. Yeah. It worked <laughs> really they, well. What they were trying to do totally really surprise for me yeah. too. I, I, I just was like, oh, he's, he's, he's a dark friend, but it's really interesting how they're playing him. And so a lot of the fandom was saying, okay, is Anver also a dark friend? Like That was a question mark. So when she does what she does, it was like, wow, that's amazing. Sorry, go ahead, Axel. They, they they did foreshadow it by giving him that terrible haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that. You 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 all talked Dark about that in the episode. That I've, I've got it in my notes about. Come on, pick a hairstyle, <laughs> commit to one side, and and just go with it. Okay. <laughs> but I, I I love the fact Ruak, that you that you saw it differently because again I just think this is what the show's doing to book fans that even we're not entirely sure 
Like, I think Dana yeah. really threw us for a loop in season one. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. That made us feel absolutely. like we even we don't quite know where things are going to go. And that's so exciting for us, right? Yeah. That we just, we're and, not sure. And that's why, that's kind of why I thought the thing with, with Barthanis, because Dana in the books is just a side throwaway character who isn't a dark friend. And they just recycled the name in a similar setting. And so I was like, Oh, okay. They're just recycling since they can't actually use the whole Barthanis storyline. They're just recycling the name as a wink to us. And, and, and they made him such a goody two shoes. I did not <laughs> because Barthanis in the books is just, you know, straight. Mwahaha, I'm a dark friend. You know, yeah. there's, there's very no, mustache twirling. Yeah. Oh, this, this works so much yeah. better yeah. though. This, yeah. you know, someone who's like all sweetness and, and, Nice. And the and the idea that his his mother has created this path to success for him and kept him, you know, relatively sheltered and innocent and and, and good natured worked. It worked brilliantly. <laughs> and then he comes back and says, Did you think that it was just you who did all this? And I thought, what a fucking slap in the face. Fuck you. <laughs> but I love the conversation that you, that you all had on that episode. Because I completely agreed, which is he truly thinks he did it because he was a dark friend. But he's so dumb, he doesn't realize that his mom is a master at the game of houses. Like she is Desdemar, you know? Yeah. And he would 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 the higher up dark friends have even noticed Barthanus if it wasn't for his mother putting him in a, in that position to then think, oh, he's now close to the queen. He's actually useful to us. So let's we use can him. use him. Yeah. He's such a dumbass that he doesn't realize everything that he everything that he's achieved is because of his mother and his mom knew that and it was just another blow to think oh not only are you a dark friend but you're really stupid as well i really failed you didn't i <laughs> i could didn't raise it isn't that an intelligent like son. encapsulation of privilege yes yeah very much so, yeah. yeah for sure yeah they think they're playing three-dimensional chess and they're just <laughs> and they're over there playing connect four yeah. <laughs> no, I, I have to say I agree with you very much, Saiba. I, I love the encapsulation of a lot of the themes of the books in that little storyline that was not in the books in any way. There's nothing with Moraine's family, nothing with her sister, nothing with her nephew, none of that. And and I I loved it the, in the same way that I loved the... the uh, um, Stepan and Corinne storyline in season one, which was another thing that a lot of people complained about. They were like, why did we spend all this time on a story that's not even in the books when we only get eight episodes to begin with? And for the same thing, it, it encapsulates so much of the themes and, and storylines into a nice digestible little story that I love it. It's masterful adaptation in, in my opinion, because it gives it, gives us an entirely new storyline that still brings across all of the information that needs to be there and, and does it more succinctly than they would be able to otherwise. It's recognizing that it's a, you've got a different medium, so you need to tell stories differently. Um, and also you don't want to just, if you just recycle what's in the books, then that is going to bore your like second tier fans. Like your super fans are going to love to see exactly what's in the books. But a lot of people who quite enjoyed the books 
if it's exactly the same, they don't want to see that because they've already seen it, right? And then also for the superfans, you run into the risk of not doing it quite right, right? It's, it's almost, but not quite what they wanted, <laughs> and that really annoys them. And so then they start, you know, then you get the massive social media bullshit that, like, let's say Star Wars films go through. Yeah, um, yeah. And then the studio, get, and then the producers get scared. So then they screw up the rest of the thing. And then, you know, like, the, the people with the vision go, oh, fuck. If only we had stuck to our guns. Yeah. I love this conversation. Somebody on the Discord introduced me to the term book cloaks. Oh. <laughs> Which is now my new favorite thing, the idea that there's book cloaks. That is a pretty really nice way of putting it. Well, it's a it's one way of putting it, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but, you know, I, this, this, this conversation, though, I think is so important because I think there's two aspects to it. One, I don't think it's possible to have just taken the books and turned it into a show. Like, I, I don't think it's possible. It's, it's completely different, right? And for all those people that keep saying that's what we should have done, I think it shows a lack of understanding and a lack of imagination that they don't realise you can't just take what's in a written medium and transfer it into a visual medium. But also, on coming back to you know th these extra things that we're getting, family does not play a big part in the books. Everyone has family and there are touches of it here and there. But considering how incestuous Randland actually is, there's not a real, there's not a lot of focus on that. And I think for the show, for them to have gone into this really important element of, you know, family, what is biological family? What is found family? What is the family that you choose for yourself? The different families we choose for ourselves along our journeys and how that changes so much over time. I think that's such a, that's a human element. And I wonder whether if we ever get an opportunity to ask, you know, the people that have, have been involved in creating it. That's a question I'd like to ask, which is, did you deliberately choose to go for creating a more human family element that wasn't in the books because you wanted to, it's, it works better for the visual medium? And how did you go about that process? Like, what were the conversations that people in the, in the, in the writer's room would have been saying, but this isn't in the books. You know, this doesn't make sense because it's not in the books. And other people would have been saying, but it is in the books. It's in the subtext, and that's what we're pulling out. Because Maureen, you know, she has sisters that are referred to, I think, in the encyclopedia, not even in the books. But it's in canon, and they've just said, oh, this will be really interesting to show her journey through the eyes of her family members, who also have really important roles to play as well. I, I think that difference is fascinating. And just for me as a somebody who doesn't know a lot about film, these are the things that I find really interesting that I would like to know more about from a film perspective. I think also showing people's interactions with their families is a really good shorthand of, of, of describing aspects of their personality. This is the environment that they grew up in, that they came from, that tells you something about a person. Like compare Moraine's interactions with her sisters, compare that to Alana's scenes with her family, with the big gang of cousins and aunties and and you know this huge spread of food Alana's a warrior she goes out and blows the shit <laughs> out of people she puts herself in combat situations but she comes from this incredibly warm nurturing environment 
and that it, it's such a neat contrast and it tells you so much about her personality that she is somebody who is capable of like sitting on the bed and eating you know pomegranates with her friend her bestie <laughs> um at the same time that she is you know going into combat and basically killing people like this is how these it gives yeah it gives you this really three-dimensional um picture of her same with moraine and her sister it's it's just i think it's a really it's a really cool story device for for saying this is a three-dimensional person this is where she came from is part of who she is so i want to discuss the the original five characters our our core five we haven't even touched upon them Um, yeah Uh, Who who do we feel got the biggest glow up this season in in their storyline in their story arc in their character portrayal? Oh God, who didn't? Right. Yeah, <laughs> Ran, Ran for sure though. Come on, he he oh. was really muted in season know, one for reasons. Egwene, yeah, Egwene's yeah. kind of is is the one that like I I, I feel had the like she, she had definitely the most intense story arc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Um, and and Perrin spent most of season yeah. one just being traumatized. So yeah, yeah. Like, like per- and yeah, again, like Perrin like had a huge chunk of development, and so did Matt. Yeah, I mean, again, like, get, Matt get, spent Matt, most Matt, of Matt, season two Matt, being traumatized. traumatized right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and actually, I I would going to say Matt because he confounded like, um, the bad guys' expectations. They thought yeah. they had him pegged. They had a place for him, and he fucked them. He absolutely yeah. fucked them because he realized what they were trying to do to him. Right? They and, it, and to be fair, like eighteen months of solitary confinement on most people, it would have worked. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Um, like just yeah, like his the way that he escaped, the way he used the dagger. Like that was the scene that really is kind of like, um, you know, like like there was a, a very short like visual piece of he is not who you thought he was, and oh boy, are you fucked because of it. That that's like the uh, the galaxy brain at the end of the meme is yeah. him right well, putting the dagger on the yeah. on the broomstick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't and, not touch the dagger, but I cannot touch the dagger. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then following it up with that, we need the heroes. Wait a minute. Yeah. We are the heroes. I'm a hero. I can yeah. do hero things. And boom. Right? Like he yeah. yeah. And I I love that for Matt's character this season because like of all of them, he's finally figured out what his path is. He he's finally figured out like who or what he's meant to be he's he's like okay i am not a fuck up i am i am a goddamn hero and i need to start acting like it and And, and i think to a certain extent also his realization is something that is something that he can throw at the rest of the group it's the difference between we are people with powers and we are heroes in legends right like there's a different dynamic to how you Mm -hmm. act in that case right yeah um and and loyal brought that exact thing up you know we're the heroes of mm-hmm. another age's legends we need to start acting like it you yeah. know do do the things that you would want to be sung about you yeah yeah like loyal's the one who, he can articulate it oh shit guys you're making me really emotional 
<laughs> that means we're doing it right. I'm starting to feel really emotional. I, ha I have to say Egwene of all of them, because she went from being the Wisdom's Apprentice to being um, kind of the one in the tower who was overlooked because she wasn't the most powerful, to taking back her own freedom by force of pure will. And I thought it was kind of really interesting that you saw the way that her journey was um, very much relying on herself and using just pure force of spine to free herself, whereas uh, Nynaeve's journey was almost the exact opposite, learning that she needs other people, learning that she has to be able to depend on other people for help. Like when at the very end, when her um, she couldn't fix, um, what's her name, Elaine with magic? And she ends up having to like half carry her up the tower. She's like, I need you because <laughs> I, I need your ability to heal because I can't do it. Nynaeve goes from being the one in charge to the one who's asking for help. Gwen goes from the one who's like the apprentice and the student to being the badass in the room. And I just thought that was kind of interesting that you see them go in direct, go in journeys of opposite directions, but do it at the same time together. One of my favorite Nynaeve scenes is right at the end when Elaine is healing Rand and the camera basically pauses on Nynaeve's face. She's looking at Elaine as Elaine healed Rand. And in my head, I just, I, I heard Nynaeve decide, because to her, it's just the five of them, right? The Emmonsfield, I mean, two rivers, five. Are her. <laughs> you do it too. I do. TRC, two rivers crew. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's no longer EF5, it's TR5. I have to mentally change that in my no, head. No, I like TRC, Two Rivers Crew, yeah. Uh, TRC. But I can, in that moment, I saw Nynaeve acknowledge Elaine as an important person. And in my head, because I do this with people as well, that's the moment Elaine dis um, Nynaeve decided Elaine's in her crew. Like, you're she's one of mine just as now. important. <laughs> yeah. you, you're one of mine. Exactly. You're one of mine. And I'm going to look after you and protect you and treat you the same way as I would these people that I have grown up with. And for me, that's such an important character moment for Nynaeve. And the fact that they visually represented that was, for me, really beautiful. I loved it. I love Nynaeve. You're part of the, you're part of the gang now, and that's like non-revocable. I will yeah. worry about you and take care of you no matter what. I also, just on a tangent... Have to have words with with Greg because I have a note in here somewhere on one of the episodes. I'm sure I wrote down. Did Greg just call Nynaeve dumb? And I was very annoyed about it. You have to admit she has some enormous blind spots. She does. She does have huge blind spots, but we don't talk about them. Okay? She's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a given. But come on. <laughs> so Rand. What do we think about Rand's glow up this season? I mean, he he definitely feels like he's got more confidence at the end of this season than he did at at, at any point in the first season. Mm. He had to deal with so much. And I'm I'm still mad that he was basically held responsible for doing the best he could with the limited knowledge he had and everybody's and, and then Swan is like, it's been eight months and you, you know, haven't learned anything. And it's like, 
because he, he was told that using the power would drive him crazy. So, yeah, he hasn't been using the power. Like, yeah. what did you think he was going to do with that knowledge? Yeah, it's not like you've been providing him with any support whatsoever. Yeah. And if anything, it's kind of like, if you show what we're likely to, to gentle you, we're going to fuck you. It's like, yeah, what's he supposed to do? Rand in the show makes so much more sense to me in terms of his character growth. In the books, to me, it was always a little bit more like, well, he's, he's the hero, so you don't really need to, for it to make sense. He's the hero, so plot armor, right? He's going to do this amazing thing here. He's going to do this amazing thing here because the story needs him to. In the show, you really see how he does grow into his intelligence and his cunning and yeah. his way of you know trying to use people in a way that doesn't hurt them but he's acknowledging that he's using them because he needs to I, I thought that was a huge improvement on and i'm not saying that other people don't read the books and see it too i didn't see it as much in the books and in the show i visually i saw it differently and i really appreciated it and i, I think you're gonna also, that's something that i would expect to see just because of the fact that the TV adaptation is after 10 books have been written, whereas, you know, Robert Jordan starts out his first book, he has this big hero, and it's really difficult to write a hero who's not a hero. Mm. Right? It's, you know, I just think that... No, you're right. You're right, Axel. I have to acknowledge the fact that even Jordan didn't know how long the books were going to be. And at this point in books, in book three, Rand is weird for... That's the best way I can present it without spoilers, yeah. right? He's weird in book three because Jordan thought he was going to wrap it up in three or four or maximum five books, and it ended up being 15, right? So yeah. <laughs> so his character comes, so Jordan, growth comes later. Jordan didn't know what was coming when he started writing? He knew the story, like how it was going to, what the whole thing was going to be, but it got more and more dense and complicated how much detail was going to be in that story yeah. wow okay and this is the thing that's amazing about the show is because they're not doing it book by book they're doing it of the entire series so they have 15 books and the encyclopedia and the white book of art they have all the information and all the interviews you know and all the information extra information you don't get to get to get away with calling it the white book of art give it its full title I don't know because some people just call it call the it big, the big. It's called the, the big, big white book of bad art. <laughs> I was say, the, the big one, the, the shitty book of art, which I don't have on this shelf. I have it in the hallway. Yeah, I I have a soft spot in my in my heart for that. So why is that its title? Uh, it, it it is actually called the world of Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time, and okay. it was a, a companion book that was put out about midway through the the series. Okay, and it is considered canon. It has histories of the lands and the peoples, and and um, there's some stuff in there that is canon that d doesn't appear anywhere else, and it's okay. a wonderful wonderful book with really horrible artwork really horrible okay. really really horrible like artwork. like lan yeah. what happened lan oh I just, yeah, yeah the, but can i just say though my favorite image of lanfear comes from that book i really like now i want to see some of these images yeah I'll, I'll i'll send you all some images from the big white book about bad art it's you you will agree that it is quite bad art <laughs> it's quite okay. and i think as, as time goes on it gets it gets funnier and funnier um yeah but with all the content being out there the show is doing you know 
they can, they can build upon that, which is actually just, you know, just pointed out Jordan himself, he did change a lot as his world, as his metaphysics, as he was kind of pinning down how things would work. Some of the things that happen in the early books don't happen again because it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I've seen enough um, old tabletop role-playing games to know what terrible fantasy art looks like. And and so I'm excited to see this the, these. Yeah, I was going to say, think old school TSR. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So changes that they made from the books that I did not care for. Uh, number one, with a bullet, uh, was was the death of Uno. Changes from the books that that I absolutely loved and felt like was obvious and should have been in the books was Uno being a hero of the horn. I totally agree with you on that on, on that path. Uno's death was such a shock. Oh, I yeah. screamed yeah. when that happened. I was like, holy shit, they fucking killed Uno. <laughs> was not expecting that. And and I I liked how they figured out how to make that land at the end of the third episode so that when they drop the original, when they drop the first three episodes in one go, you get that as your cliffhanger before you have to wait a week, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was brilliant. Him. I know, those bastards. <laughs> I, I was, because um, I was reading a lot of the interviews and I remember the one that really stuck out to me was Rafe was saying that, you know, we're going to be killing people. Like, there's not enough death in the books. Because you know yeah. the author doesn't want. Oh my want. god! <laughs> right, so he's like, we're, we're not going to do that. There's going to be some shocking deaths. And I remember in that episode, or maybe it was episode two, Uno was just getting a lot of lines, and so I was just yeah. thinking, oh, hang on, that does hang on here. Well. <laughs> he's getting really funny quips. He's getting a lot of camera, you know, panning to him and people reacting of him. I don't like where this is heading. So I thought it's going to happen, <laughs> but I was totally shocked with how it happened. I wasn't expecting that level of brutality. But what I loved about that scene was just the fact that it was Uno and um, Alwyn, uh, the voice, and that's husband and wife. And I just thought, I, I just had this imagination, like, you know, them practicing at home, how that oh. scene was going to go. <laughs> that, was pretty, that was pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, for those that don't know, um, the person playing the voice of Suroth in that scene is Uno's real-life spouse. Jessica Boone, yeah. yeah. Who I think we might possibly see again, because if you don't see a dead body, I mean, they all fell into the ocean, you right? You don't know, yeah. You just don't know. So I I find it, so Tan, Going, this is going to be a tangent. Some of them might have been able to swim right? to shore. Yeah, I just find it really interesting. I'm always, I'm always interested to see where the camera goes and how long it stays on somebody. And Alwyn got quite a few scenes of reacting to Ishamayel, and I just thought to myself, why, why, why are we needing to see her reacting to what Ishamayel says? Why isn't, why isn't Suroth more important in this Suroth? Why isn't she more important in this scene? Right? I just love the way that Alwyn says her name um so i think i hope i hope we're gonna see the return of alwyn somehow but the, i mean all of the chan chan were fascinating characters i think they did a fat wonderful wonderful job bringing the Sean chan to life and making them feel very alien to everything else that's around um high lord turok was amazing oh he I loved not enough the portrayal there he needed more of, yeah. he was such a good actor Need more of him. Absolutely. And the duel between Turok and, and Rand, <laughs> I, I have to say I loved that I loved change. it. 
I love so, it. So in in the book, they actually had a sword fight. Yes, in the book, there was actually a sword duel, and Rand wins, and that's how Rand and, becomes. And a, Rand a, should not win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he should no not. Sense. Well, also in the books, by this point, Rand has been training with Lan daily. On okay, the so that's so. Which they have not Different touched history. on in yeah. the show. He had the only training he's really had is with Errol in the the insane asylum. So he's clearly not th- yeah. ready for that yet. So yeah. they, they changed the story a little bit. But yeah, yeah in- but I think even with like a lot of training on the road with Lan, he should still be no match for like someone so, who's like, been training their whole life. Yeah. 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 yeah, and has fought real battles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The hero can yeah. just magically do these things and we kind of accepted it in the books but also just yeah. to say at the beginning of book two rand spends a month in faldara training every day with lan right and so that is yeah. quite intense but still to face off to yeah. a sword master so early in the books it's like oh kind of again look rand is showing rand is special rand can do these things but in yeah. the show i love the indie moment i mean everyone's calling it the indie moment it worked so yeah. well I thought that I laughed my ass off. I thought that was perfect. <laughs> and and I also feel like it was a a easy cop out on the um the stunt director's part because imagine trying to actually film that sword fight with those fingernails. Like mm-hmm. in in the books they said that he somehow was able to grab the sword even with his fingernails and, and <laughs> use it lively and stuff and, and you're in your head like how does that work that that's a no. yeah yeah those, those things you're right those fingernails are like you don't grasp anything that's kind of the point of yeah it. yeah yeah but i have to say i still want to see turok because that very short clip where he takes his sword out and does those amazing sword forms was so yeah. awesome that a part of me really did want to see him actually fight and see how that would work because he was so yeah. imposing we'll get a intense. But no, I, it definitely worked the best way. I think the only um, thing I wasn't expecting was for Suroth to be so childish and petulant. Like it's an interesting change from the books, I think. I No, I felt like that was very accurate to the books. I, I always felt her okay. to be kind of childish and, and very petulant, very... I have to get one over on Turok, kind of, mm. you know, she, she was, uh, what's the, the British show where the, the lady is always trying to figure out exactly where in line she is to the throne. Oh, like Hyacinth Bucket? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Keeping up appearances. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bouquet, she's, she's very high. Axel. It's Hyacinth yeah. Bouquet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She always just, yeah. She always just struck me kind of like that. Like, you know, here's where I am in line to the throne. Oh my God. Yeah. This is hilarious. I never thought I'd ever hear somebody compare Suroth to Hyacinth Bucket. <laughs> 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 this is a this is a watch party exclusive connection. <laughs> Come on. If we ever hear about this in the fandom, we know it has originated in this episode. <laughs> That's brilliant. I, I think that is a wonderful connection and you're dead right through like bang on. Um, I get the impression from everyone in the sh- in the the higher echelons of the Sean Chen that they're not people who hear no very often. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's Surath is petulant because she gets what she wants always. Yeah. Always. And she yeah. even became a dark friend in order to more get what she wants. Yeah. And yeah. it's not working out for her and she's mad about that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not getting enough of what I want, so I want 
more, mm-hmm. so I'm going to be a dark friend, so I get more. Mm-hmm. Well, and now I, they're telling me no too. And bleh. I like this. I think <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting when I do my next reread to see how much of the show influence changes my perspective of yeah. reading through the books again. Because I think Suroth is definitely going to be different in my head now because of this. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I'm imagining her as I have some bouquet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would like to give a shout out for a character that I knew was going to get cut, but I still feel his, his cut deeply. And that is, uh, Huron. R.I.P. Huron. For, for those of you who don't know what the hell we're on about, uh, Huron is, he was, uh, Lord Ingtar's sniffer, which they just replaced him with Elias. Mm-hmm in the show but he was he was just an everyman character and there are so many everyman characters in the sh- in the series that i knew a lot of them were going to get cut but it's going to hurt me every time one of them is right i mean there's 2782 characters and probably 2700 of them are everyman characters yeah <laughs> like the number of right. you know farmers and innkeepers and barmaids there's there's some that get a name and then there are some that that worm their way into your heart Mm -hmm. and and huron is one of those that worms his way into your heart he's he's yeah and again like something that works very well in like written but not so well on tv yeah trying to keep all of those characters separate and distinct yeah no (laughs) Or if you do it, then it turns into um, Wheel of Coronation Street. <laughs> um, and and I liked the way that they wrote him out and wrote Elias in, because in the books, uh, Perrin's whole thing with Elias happens before this whole journey. It happens in book one. And then during this journey, they have his sniffer and his sniffer goes missing. And that's when Perrin steps up and is like, Oh, I'm also a sniffer (laughs) because he's using his wolf powers, but doesn't want anybody to know about wolf powers. But sniffing seems to be something that they're all comfortable with. So he's like, yes, I'm also a sniffer. So the fact that they had Elias as, Oh yes, I'm a sniffer. Right now. Yeah. Because most people wouldn't understand what a wolf brother was, or they might think it's connected to the dark one. Or we need to get the Aes Sedai involved, but it's, yeah. it's, so this is another. And I think I think Ruach, you might have touched upon this in one of the earlier episodes where you talked about the different powers and the different magical systems in Randland. So like Min has the talent, so capital T talent of visions. Hurin was one who had a capital T talent for being a sniffer. Um, but I think yeah, so a I don't sniffer think is like a tracker. It. Yeah, uh, I, I went over that in the episode. A sniffer is a person who can smell where violence has happened. Right, right, right. Which sounds like the worst special ability yeah. ever. Like, unless it makes it smell like cotton candy and, and, and unicorn farts or something. But yeah. I, I don't get the feeling violence smells like that. Yeah. And that, that would just mean, like, you could never set foot into a punk club again. Although, actually, maybe that would cover the smell of the punk club. And yeah, that could work out. Right? <laughs> Make it a more pleasant experience. Yeah. Is it worse than stale beer? <laughs> yeah. And B.O. Thoughts on, on uh, Doman Bale, or Bale Doman? Which way does it go? 
That's Bill Doman. Yeah, for a moment he had to be thinking. <laughs> I was going yeah, to say his way. <laughs> name backwards and forwards. Yeah, but Bill uh, Doman. Doman, Bale Doman. Our, our, our sea captain. What do, what do we think of him? You know, I never really realized that smugglers are basically, I, I just never really thought of them as thieves. I thought of smuggling as the different thing. I don't know why and what that says about me. But that scene where he's basically just ransacking the table um, in farm before Lanfear comes up to him. I was just like, hang on, Bale. Are you just helping yourself to people's stuff because shit's gone to hell and you're going to get out of here? I thought, well, yeah, I suppose that's... They're not going to need it. <laughs> smuggling? Yeah. So, okay, okay. It's just... I don't think that's necessarily a function of being a smuggler because when, like... Straight up smuggling is about getting the stuff that you already have past inspection. Um, and stealing stuff is at, like, that's, that's saying hello to a whole different brand of law enforcement. I think, but like, he does, he does appear to be an oh, opportunist. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I, I think that, like, he, he, yeah, exactly. I think it's not that he's not doing it because he's a smuggler. I think he's doing it because if you're an opportunist, um, which is a sensible thing to do if you're engaged, you know, like if you want to make money, really. But he has a good heart. He doesn't have a bad heart. Right. That's 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 a better way of saying it. He doesn't have a bad yeah. heart. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, he he, he it, it kind of fits with your kind of classic, um, like you know, Cockney wide boy kind of a thing, right? Like sees chance, takes chance. Uh, runs with it as far as possible, always on the lookout for a way to make an extra dollar. Yeah, and then when he sees Lanfear, you know, he thinks she's Lady Celine, and he's like, oh, you know, yep. you shouldn't be here. This, this, I'm going to help you, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, he does yeah. have a good I'm gonna help. Yeah. Now, is he help he's helping because person that shouldn't be there or rich person that might, you know, like there might be some money involved. Oh, okay. Down the right road. Right? I can see it being a combination of both. Like he seems exactly. like the kind of person who would genuinely say, this is a dangerous place. Let me help you get out of here. Yeah. But he's certainly also not going to turn down the opportunity for someone who's wealthy to be slightly indebted to him. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to help you out of here. And now that we're safe, by the way, is there any chance of a reward? Fantastic. But I think he would do it regardless because he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he's an opportunist, but I don't, like, he doesn't come across as someone who would, like, you know... He's not doing it just for the money. Stab you in the back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I have a question for Ruach. Yes. Which was the most... And we might have even touched upon this, but which was the most surprising character for you? Barthanis, I would say. Wow. Okay. Definitely. Just because... I I wasn't expecting to like that character, but I really liked him and then and, and was completely suckered in and fish hooked by him. Little and, Lord Fauntleroy. <laughs> yes. And and like when I first met that character, I'm like, oh God, this guy's annoying. And then as I got to know the character, I'm like, no, this this character's endearing. And then oh God, this character's a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I'm interested in your thoughts about my most surprising one. Okay. So when Mira Sayal and Natasha O'Keefe were announced as being attached to the show, I think it was at uh, New York Comic Con last year when Rafe announced that they were going to be playing two of the most important characters in the series. And I was immediately like, right, Mira's playing Varin. 
And Natasha could play either, people were speculating, she was either Lanfia or Elida. And I remember I did a post in the group where I said, I don't think Natasha is going to play Lanfia because to me, Lanfia is not one of the most important characters in the series. <laughs> like, I really, <laughs> really did not understand. And, you know, uh, shout out to Matt Hatch here. You know, he's, he's really good at, uh, you know, letting people not like his favorite character. But in the show, wow. Yeah, and, and knowing what we know about her, I cannot wait to see all the different faces of Lanfia because either I was missing something in the books or she just didn't land for me in that way. But my goodness, well, one, she's One thing I'm noticing about the show is they are, and they've mentioned this, they're taking a holistic approach yeah. to the books. So while it takes a long time for the character progression to happen in the books and for characters to get to points where you actually like them. They're going through a lot of that character progression very quickly and getting the characters to the, who they are later in the books earlier mm -hmm. so that we don't have to go through all of that. I hate this character before I like them stuff. And, and I feel like that's what they've done with land fear. They've definitely at this point in the books, she's just kind of a non non-threat in a lot of ways or or doesn't feel fully fleshed out and later in the books she's terrifying you know and they just jump straight to terrifying with her and and that's that's really interesting because yeah she does seem like a really key character from pretty much the moment she shows up yeah um and again it's going to be one where i go when i do my reread i'm going to be focusing more on her scenes in the books because for me throughout the entire series from the beginning until the end i just didn't get her and i was thinking okay maybe there's more in the you know extra material that explain more about her and why i should feel more but it's going to be again there's a, there's a couple of characters that i can't wait now for my next reread to really focus in on and to see what i've missed and that's the amazing thing about this series that, you know, nearly 30 odd years later, I'm still finding new facets to these characters. There's just always another level. I love it. I, I'm kind of intrigued to see what happens with Lanfear because she, like the whole storyline that we're presented with is that she became a dark friend because, um, who's he, what's he, the, the, Luz Theron. Luz Theron dumped her and from what little we've seen of loose there and i think he's a prick <laughs> <laughs> so you know the, the whole you know he turned his friends to the dark kind of tracks with the way we see the way we see him behave but now Luz is reincarnated rand who's a very different person so land fear goes out of her way to help rand probably in part because land rand at one time says he loves her but also, Rand has not gotten over Egwene. So, like, is there going to be another turnaround where she becomes a bad guy again because Rand has also rejected her? Or is Rand's very different approach to love and relationships going to somehow change her history? Are they going to form a triad? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm interested to see how this plays out. Like, her relationship with Rand is 
by by its very nature going to be different than her relationship with Luz. So does that in some way help redeem her or is, you know, being rejected twice by the same dragon going to like tip her over the edge again? Like what's going to happen next? It's kind of kind of there's a little soap opera aspect to this that uh, kind of intrigues me. I, I have to say something about that that actually I really enjoyed this season was the point where Rand says something roundabout and she says, did you just say you love me? And and he didn't directly say he loved her, but he kind of implied it. And, and she just, did you just say you love me? And like, you know, the crazy girlfriend meme and, and like that just felt so incredibly land fear. And, and I knew Rand was screwed from that point forward. <laughs> I mean, she's been waiting like what? 3000 years to hear him say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no surprise. It's going to be yeah. a big, it's a big deal. Right. Again, see yeah. further the fact that, um, you know, the, she is incredibly traumatized because she was in the, you know, solitary confinement for millennia. Yeah. You know, she is a victim. There's the so dragon. much I want to say, but I can't because <laughs> I don't know how to separate out the spoilery bits from the non spoilery bits. <laughs> I will spend some time and uh, come back with a deeper dive in a later episode on what I can say. <laughs> the prison magical complex, man. It's bad. <laughs> Talking of which, um, Leandrin's character development this season. Um, oh, and she's fantastic. all the way out of the dark closet. <laughs> it was a little disappointing that she's a dark friend. That seemed a bit simplistic. Um, but the, the giving her, like, you know, here's her son. Here, but you can completely get why. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, she's a developed character with reasons. She makes sense. She, you know, she's simply she's somewhat sympathetic, um, and 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 Leandra and she wrecks like, every opportunity to become really sympathetic because she's a cop. Which is <laughs> I can I just say one of my favorite things listening to you all was Axel's epic rants. There were some epic ones in season two <laughs> about cops, and really made me rethink. I, uh, well, there was one where where Axel was going off about the fact that that. She was an amazing character, yes. and then I think it was Samaria <laughs> pointed out that she was a cop, and and Axel's like, "God damn it!" <laughs> okay, so that was that A-cab. was episode one, and I basically got written yep. down. Leandrin continues to confuse our ACAB sensibilities. Axel is not <laughs> pleased, <laughs> and and that like that's fantastic, like because I, I you know that's the kind of thing that I want to feel about a character in a show. Right. Being confused yeah, means she's that complicated. Yeah. Bad guy bad guys should always feel complicated. But onto Axel's point about complicated characters, right? This is something I don't understand why some people in the fandom are just like, oh, we're spending too much time, you know, like with the baddies. And it's like, hang on, this is what was needed. This is a really good change from the books. In the books that everyone the baddies were just a little we're all two-dimensional mustache twirling, right? And that's it. That's the reason. Well, I, I don't know that they were necessarily two-dimensional mustache rolling. We didn't get to see a lot of their point of view until much later right. in the series. Uh, up until this point, yeah. So they 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 just kind of they would only show up at the points when it would yeah. be a mustache twirling yeah. situation, but we didn't get any of the lead up or follow. You're right, and again, this is coming back to the fact that this is taking a holistic view of the entire series. So we're getting the motivation. We understand them. We're getting so much more with the Shamael. We're getting so, I mean, we're getting so much more of Leandrin. Like, she's, a, to me, a completely different character from the books. She wasn't really, 
to meet anything in the books, but she's brilliant. So it, it's, on a, it's on a level. And I think that this is something that people don't, I think, are not kind of missing the mark, which is we get fully fleshed out goodies. We also need fully fleshed out baddies right from the start. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. You know, the, the danger doesn't make sense. And that also speaks to like Robert Jordan's development as an author. The fact that in the you know his first books, he's focusing on the good guys because that's the obvious thing to do. And as he goes as he goes further, he's going wait a minute, I need to. There needs to be a counterweight. Need to show reasons why you should care about the villains too. Like you know, like Darth Vader got infinite, infinitely more interesting when he said, "I'm your father," or didn't whatever the actual line was. But like that changed him from being bad guy in a really cool suit to story right like how empire really amped up the 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 franchise by giving the villains character and it's it's interesting because in the books ishamael is very mustache twirly until much later in the books when you find out his whole nihilism point of view i must stop the wheel in order to stop the suffering and and that to me was the point when he became the most interesting one of the most interesting characters in the books and that to me is a fantastic motivation like that make and again like why are the bad guys bad they they should have a motivation it's really easy just to say they're bad at the beginning of of all of this i came up with what i thought would be everybody's favorite characters mm -hmm. Um, and I've been fairly accurate on most of them so far. Axel, I have to say, um, there's my choice for you. I'm going to tell you what it was right mm -hmm. now because they've kind of ruined it and they're not, don't feel like they're doing that story mm -hmm. later on in the books when Ishamael kind of reveals the motivations mm -hmm. and, and that was my right choice for yeah. your favorite character and then they revealed his motivations yeah. in the first first and, series and i was like oh, okay well, there you but go yeah like but. no you like <laughs> from from watching especially this season like i mean i think ishmael and leandrin are the characters i most in, have I most enjoyed watching they're the characters that, that i yeah. again like they are the most interesting um and not leandrin very much took me by surprise um and that's another character that really was not fleshed out mm -hmm. well in the books. Very mustache twirly, just kind of, you know, I'm evil for evil's sake. And Which is very much how she feels in, like, episode one. The whole subplot with her son yeah. was... Yeah, oh, it's Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely amazing. So much character. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I, I kind of wonder um, if she is presented in the one-dimensional way to begin with because they hadn't figured out what to do with her. Or if they wanted to kind of like, you know, work with what is lull the fans into a full sense of security. Right. You've got a very yeah. straightforward baddie. And to be honest, you know, like she, you know, she's in it like she's a, 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 a kind of like classic um, man hating rad femme, you know, female separatist. Like there, there is a trope there that you could jump on really easily. But. Oh, oh <laughs> mid rant, no mid less. Mid epic rant. <laughs> oh, I I totally dig what Axel's saying there, though, because uh, in the books she was, like we said, very one dimensional, and and I think I I said it in the first season at some point, like 
you have no idea how much we as book fans are feeling weird. Oh my goodness. I, <laughs> I, I seriously, I think at one point I was thinking I need therapy about my feelings for the Andrin in the show because knowing what it, what she might be doing coming soon, this is not right. I have foreknowledge. I shouldn't feel this way toward her in the show because she's terrible. Exactly. <laughs> I I really like, I, I will say, I really like what they did with her. I mean, they made her a three-dimensional person in a way that, you know. And, and I have to say, I'd like that about all of the quote unquote villains in the series, not all of whom feel like villains. Um, they... They all have interesting motivations. You all, every single one of them, you're like, no, I get it. You know, like, it, well, Lanfear, you know, that's the crazy ex-girlfriend thing. I don't know that I get that. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you still get it. it. It makes sense in in some way. Um, okay, just coming back to Lanfear, though. Do, do you really, do you think Lanfear, to me, okay, that's, so, without going into spoilers, that's probably one of the main things I don't like about Lanfear in the books is because she is presented as crazy ex-girlfriend. I didn't get that in the show. Like there was a point, I think maybe it was, epi- I don't know which episode it was. I thought, oh no, that's what they're doing. They're going into crazy ex-girlfriend. But then her relationship with the Shamael to me showed it was something more. It wasn't just about Luz choosing to, you know, get he got married to Elena. There was something more. There's something about the friendship of them as a trio and the breaking of that trio friendship that led her to the dark side. Is that just me? Does that come across? Because I think this, that's much more, it's no, more no, interesting. I, 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 I yeah. get it. Um, I, I also understand why she was, is given kind of the crazy ex-girlfriend view because she is, you know, here's a look ahead at the the myths and and whatnot episode, but I mean, she is based on Lilith. That is her role. Mm. So there there needs to be some level of that in in her character. I also just want to say, in terms of Lanfear in the books, I I want to also just shout out. Sorry, panel, you can't watch these, but Dusty Wheel did Lanfear week, and they basically went through all the different masks, all the different ways she presents in the books. And just watching that gave me a much deeper appreciation. And for me, it's arrived at the right time that, it, that we I watched all of those. I started looking at her differently. And then the show version is giving us so much more nuance to her decisions and why she's helping. And I loved all of your reactions to um, the final scene of the season where she says, light help you, Randolph Thor. And you were all like, whoa, why is she saying that? What does this mean? <laughs> I just thought it was brilliant. Like That's the reaction that the show must have wanted, not just from the book fans, but from the newbies to be, why is a forsaken saying, light be with you? That means some serious shit has just been unleashed that even she can't control. <laughs> it's brilliant. That was quite the cliffhanger. <laughs> the rest of the forsaken are out of their cage. Shit going down in the next season. <laughs> so thoughts on Mogedian. We just got to see a few seconds of Mogedian on screen, but that's clearly one of our next Forsaken Big Bad. She's delightfully what, what, disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think all of us know her from the goth club. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I love her accent. It was so spot on creepy but fascinating 
just the the different nuances that she put on on where she was talking to Lanfear. Just brilliant to have such a short couple of see you know that's just that one scene it was so short i never thought i would look forward to seeing more of megedian that's all i will say simon it was so good to see you i'm so <gasps> glad you were able to join us today oh so glad it's been so fun and actually I, I was thinking to myself how am i gonna hold back from going into the nitty-gritty but it worked it's fine and there's plenty always plenty more for f- future deep dives And we want to say thank you, as always, to Michael and Jen out at the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank you, Michael and Jen. They're the ones that make all of this happen, as well as our sister podcasts, uh, Watch Party Lord of the Rings, a watch party of ice and fire, and Watch Party Gaming, which uh, features our very own crew from here. And if you want to get in touch with us online, that's whatwatchparty.com, at whatwatchparty, at all of your your fine or not so fine purveyors of of social media, and uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with us to be in the mailbag segment, that's whatwatchparty at gmail Also, you can join our Discord. Just go to the show notes or to whatwatchparty and find our Discord link. Lots of fun happening in the in the Discord server, and you can watch us record live. Let me try that again. And final question for our panel. Which character are you most excited to see return next season and why? All of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, fair. You know what? The one group that we did, the one uh, character we did not talk about um, in this episode is the uh, sword maidens, the the spear maidens, whatever you call, the hell you call oh, them, the ice and maidens, maidens of the spear. Of the spear. Uh, Avienda, she's found her king of kings. So what happens next with that? Chief of chiefs, they're they're pretty badass. They're uh, they're pretty cool. So I am surprising myself by saying I am really looking forward to seeing more of Lanfia. I want to see what the show is going to do with her. And all the things that make her, should make her one of the most important characters in the Wheel of Time. I'm looking forward to them showing us why she is that. Um, Myself, um, the person I am most excited to see more of next season is the donut vendor in, in... Well, I, I have I, to I, admit, I, I, I spotted the donuts right away. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I love the fact that donuts exist in this universe. I want to see more vendors and I, I need to see the taco vendor. I need to see which culture perfected the taco. <laughs> well, we are getting a couple of completely new cultures. So I think that's it. We're going to be on taco Ooh. and donut watch for the rest of the seasons. <laughs> Who's got the pizza? <laughs>